everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. That's very soothing, Mike. Thank How you. are you? I was trying to be like, and coming to you with smooth jazz tonight. <laughs> coming to you with smooth jazz from the modern 70s. Like modern 70s? I don't know. What would I say? But I'm good. Thank you for asking. You're welcome. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Ah, good, good. You look good. You're We're cute. in the thick before Christmas. Yeah, hopefully everybody's ready. Uh, you got like, what, a week or two before? No, one week until Christmas Eve. Oh, there you go. So Amazon, I mean, if you if you got to order, go ahead and do it. Because um, I, I, as somebody that has sold some stuff on Amazon recently, um, Amazon kind of runs out of everything. And then you're only buying from third-party sellers, which are way more expensive. So hurry up and make sure you're buying from Amazon. You know, just a little tip. Yeah, Mike's always like, who is it selling? I'm like, I don't friggin' know. I don't look at that. I just look and see if it's prime shipping and I get it out. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. If something seems too high, obviously I price check and and look around. I'm not spending double the amount of money, but... Like you ask me these detailed questions that I don't have answers to. Yeah, that's all right. So um, another thing, we've been uh, playing this Monopoly deal uh, card game. So if you like Monopoly, it's something to check out. Would you like? Did you have fun? Yeah, I had actually had fun. It was like a super rainy day yesterday. So Mike's like, hey, you want to try it? And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's do it. And obviously Monopoly, you have to set aside like a day to play. Like literally an entire day. Um, this whereas like, this, one of our games finished in like, what, five, ten minutes? Yeah, you can get pretty much a, the same feeling as Monopoly done in about 15 minutes max. Like, it's great. The only complaint I would have about it is it's very much luck-based. Yeah, for sure. Well, like so is it, Monopoly. It's it, like whatever ones you land on, yeah, that's the ones you buy. So it's like something to play. It's not like as much strategy-based. Yeah. There is some strategy based on how you're going to play your cards. But, true, true. But, so it's a, I definitely suggest suggest it yeah it's fun little kids can play um mm-hmm. not little little probably because it's a little confusing yeah but. you wouldn't want little kids we played with our 12 year old she yeah. won a couple times yeah anybody who can play monopoly check it out and then today we're going to be baking my famous thumbprint cookies oh man i saw that we had like 12 sticks of butter delivered just for those yes they're very buttery they're delicious everyone expects them of me each year my boss especially um he used to work in my hospital and now he's elsewhere but he will still drive out to the hospital. He actually texted me about a week ago. He's like, uh, so I have to ask this. Christmas card's beautiful, guys. Um, anywho, uh, when's cookie pickup? And I'm like, I'm going to do it next week. <laughs> when's cookie pickup? Yep. And I mean, I tell him I worry for him because I can't be responsible for his heart attack. As a dietitian. As a dietitian. So I'm making a triple batch and it was six sticks of butter. Oh, man. Six. And we got to share the recipe. We're going to do that? Yes, we absolutely will share the recipe. It'll and- be in the show notes. So if you're listening on your podcast, you know, just co- click into the show notes or more details or something. And I promise if you make them, people will love you for them. They have like an almondy taste. They're not overly sweet. There's no eggs in the recipe at all. It's flour, butter, sugar, and then some vanilla and almond extract. And yeah, no actual almonds, just almond extract. Yeah. And man alive, it is, they're so good and buttery and like they melt in your mouth. I'm thinking about them and closing my eyes right now. I'm not even joking. Like, oh, they're so good. Even like with a little bit of coffee. Yeah, coffee or tea. And so th- think about it this way. I use like a tiny little cookie scooper to make them so i might have like one with a cup of coffee it's not going to break the bank in terms of calories it's the holidays enjoy you might not want to eat them like my boss does where i kid you not in one day he will eat 
I'd say 30 plus cookies. Well, you give him a, what, a gallon size bag, basically. And then he's like, yeah, I had them all polished off before I got home. I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> now he's getting into a, the whole holiday thing where it's like it's expected and he's just going to eat as much as possible. He is. Yeah. Yeah. So I we will share that recipe and they're delicious. Yeah, good. And um, I'm also drinking a coffee. I usually just take my coffee black um, because, well, mostly out of laziness. But uh, my our son ordered some peppermint mocha creamer. So now I'm not doing a little Christmas thing. It's delicious. Yeah. And I put like a teaspoon in yours. Yeah. I think it's from like Coffee Mate or some crap. It is. Whatever. So mm-hmm. good stuff. We it's got, the holidays, yeah, you know. It's Christmas all over this place. It you is. Know, know what I'm saying. Eating things I have no business eating. But hey. Yeah. Like yesterday, a Philly cheesesteak. Yeah. What the heck was that all about? <laughs> I had a friggin' like half of a Philly cheesesteak at lunch. Like I had no business doing that. And then we got takeout for dinner. I had a smoothie, a uh, green smoothie. I didn't. I had a gyro. Yeah, oh, I was so disgusted with myself. I was like, I'm never eating again. But today you can go and get me a pastry. <laughs> <laughs> pastry? Oh, and it's Blizzard Sunday. It's Blizzard Sunday. We're not even sponsored by a Dairy Queen yet. But. Every Sunday, that Choco Brownie Extreme goes right in my hand. Yeah, wow. And I enjoy the heck out of it. And you can go to your patients on Monday morning with a smiling face and actually tell them what to be doing. Yeah, but I do tell them about my Blizzard Sunday. You do? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I say it's all about moderation. Right. See? Can't eat like an asshole every day. You're like, look at me. I'm little and cute. Nice to eat blizzards and cheesesteaks. I say don't eat like an asshole every day of the week. Right. Maybe just one or right. two. Maybe just one. <laughs> <laughs> Eat like an asshole one day a week. That's my rule. Good. So if you're ready to get started, I am. I am. Okay. So this is a listener suggestion. This case was suggested from Amanda. So thank you so much, Amanda. This is the murder of Isabella Nardoni. So this horrific case began with a 911 call on Saturday, March 29th, 2008. It was 11.50 p.m. And the caller said, there's a burglar in the building. Someone threw a kid from up there. Oh, my God, from the sixth floor. So starts basically horrifically. Jeez. So just a little background. Isabella Nardoni was born on April 18th, 2002 in Sao Paulo, Brazil. She was born to parents Anna Carolina Oliveira. And moving forward, I'm going to refer to her as Carolina as well as her father, Alexander Nardoni. So Carolina and Alexander met when they were in high school. They dated for three years. Carolina was only 17 years old when she unexpectedly got pregnant with Isabella. So she was still in school at the time. Alexander was about to begin his law school classes. When Carolina was pregnant, they did consider moving in together, but by this time, their relationship was already starting to show signs of cracking, so they did not move in together. Carolina instead chose to stay with her parents when she gave birth to Isabella. The couple did eventually break up, but when Isabella, or I should say they broke up when Isabella was 11 months old, they did try to keep a good relationship just communication-wise so that their daughter would have stability. Um, It was the reason why they broke up was that Carolina was convinced that Alexander was cheating on her. So Isabella was said to be spirited, very strong-willed. She fought for what she wanted. So she was a little girl with a lot of pizzazz and sass. So when she was very young, Isabella spent much of her time with her mom, but the parents eventually worked out a routine where Alexander would have Isabella Friday through Sunday twice a month. Eventually, Alexander began dating a woman named Anna Carolina Jatoba. So I will be moving forward calling her Jatoba. So the couple themselves had two sons together. This was Petro and Kawa. At this point, Isabella would spend her weekends, basically it sounded like most weekends, with her father, stepmother, and two half-brothers. 
Carolina felt that her communication with Alexander changed after he met Jatoba. Instead of making arrangements with Alexander, she was now talking with Jatoba in terms of the schedules and when Isabella would be picked up. So Carolina was rarely now at this point speaking with Alexander. So it was later discovered that Alexander had met Jatoba in law school and began seeing her while Carolina was pregnant with Isabella. So Carolina's suspicions were correct when she was, you know, thinking that he was cheating on her. He was. So he secretly carried on both relationships for a year until Carolina's suspicions became too strong and she ended the relationship. Carolina used, uh, or I should say, unselfishly knew that Isabella did love spending time with her half-siblings. She loved going over there and being with them, and Carolina wanted her to have a relationship with that side of the family. That's nice. It sucks kind of letting her go because you're spending less time together, but if she's genuinely having a great time, it's really part of her childhood. Right, and especially you have animosity towards the father because you know he cheated on you, and he's with this new woman that he was cheating on you with. You might That you have to communicate with because he's too much of a dumbass to do everything together. And you might want to punish him by trying to keep your child away, but she didn't do that. She wanted them to have she wanted Isabella to have a well-rounded life. Sounds like a good so, mom. Sounds like a very good mom to me. So she did let her spend all of her time there as she wished and because she knew her daughter was happy. So now we're moving on to Friday, March 28, 2008. And 29-year-old Alexander picked Isabella up from Carolina's house, which was very typical. He brought her back to his home, which was an apartment in a brand new building. And this was called the Edificio London. The next day, it was Saturday, March 29th. This is the day that dreadful 911 call came in. So Carolina had a typical day. Of course, she is without her daughter, so she's able to do her own thing. So she was at a barbecue with her friends. And this is where she was when she received this completely unexpected, devastating phone call. And Jatoba was on the other end of the line. It was very chaotic. She was hysterically crying and Carolina is trying to put the pieces together of what she is being told. Initially, she thought that Isabella had fallen into the pool and that somebody was doing CPR on her. She was having a hard time understanding what was going on when she got this phone call. So she had been told that Isabella had been gravely injured in an accident after she had fallen from a window of her room. So on that Saturday night, March 29th, police in the northern part of Sao Paulo received this 911 phone call from a man who said that there had been a horrible accident at his apartment building. He told police there was a burglar inside the building who had broken into an apartment on the sixth floor and had thrown a little girl from the window. Sixth floor. Gosh, that's what I was trying to think. What'd you say? Sixth floor? Mm-hmm. And I was, and then, you know, once you told me when Isabella was born, I'm like, oh no, she's the one that fell from the freaking. Can you imagine? Uh, it makes me like so no, sad. No, no. I actually was crying while I was doing this a research. baby fallen from the sixth floor. And then, of course, this is piece of shit Alexander, is what I'm going to guess. I'm going to hold back here, but this is what I'm guessing. Go ahead. So the call came through after residents of the Edificio London heard a disturbance and found Isabella on the ground in the front garden of the building. Soon after, Alexander came running out, claiming there had been an intruder who was wearing black and had cut the safety netting on the window of the building. So every window of the, this building had uh, like a white safety netting over each window. Oh. And the safety netting had been cleanly cut. To prevent exactly something like this. Exactly. 
So I looked it up because in, in the USA, I, this was this is unheard of. We don't have nets over windows. No, there might be like a bar or something. Like I'm picturing like New York City, you know, or like in a hotel. It like might a be plexiglass like, type of situation. Yeah, yeah. But there's no netting over the windows no. in the United States. I did see that it's commonplace over in Australia as well from what I read online. Or here, like the windows wouldn't open enough for somebody to get out of it. Like they, it would be prevented. Right. So soon after, like I said, so Alexander is now coming running out saying that this intruder did this. That's what's, you know, this is a chaotic situation. Yes, an intruder came in and and sliced open the the safety netting and then my daughter fell out. Sounds believable. Threw your five-year-old daughter out the window. So he's telling people that this person did exactly what you just said, that they threw Isabella through the hole in the safety netting. So according to Alexander, he and his family had been out that day. They were running errands, going to the grocery store, etc. They came home at about 11.36 p.m. that Saturday night. Since Isabella had fallen asleep in the car, he said he carried her up to her room while their two sons, which were a three-year-old and 11-month-old, stayed in the car with their mother, who was 24-year-old Jatoba. Alexander placed Isabella in bed, locked the door, and went back downstairs to retrieve the rest of his family. According to Alexander, he and Jatoba brought the two boys into the apartment. When they got inside, he noticed that the light in Isabella's room was on. So he went in there and investigated, and that's when he saw that she was not there and that there was a hole in the window. So he said he had only been out of the apartment for maybe five to ten minutes at that point. Isabella wasn't in bed when he, like I said, he noticed the hole. When he looked down, this is when he said he saw Isabella's body laying in the front garden of the apartment building. So he called out to Jatoba to call his father. Why that would be the first call you would make, I don't know. Why wouldn't you call 911? Right. Well, or whatever their equivalent is. Well, his father's a lawyer. Uh-huh. So I find that strange that the first phone call you would make to an emergency situation would be to your father and not to emergency medical services. Or the mother or whatever. You know, I mean, there, there's <clears throat> a million, million other options that make more sense. 911 to me would make sense. So Carolina indicated that when Jatoba called her, she was hysterical and screaming that Isabella had fallen. The building doorman remembers hearing a noise at 11.49 p.m. that sounded like a car crash. He called the building manager, who then called the police at 11.50 p.m. It was at this point that Alexander came rushing outside to Isabella's body. While this was happening, Jatoba was inside the apartment making phone calls. She first called her father, and then that call lasted only seconds. Next, she quickly called her father-in-law, who is Alexander's father. All of this happened while the building manager was on the phone with police. The timeline was so tight that police felt that there had there been an intruder, he would still be in the building like at when, this point in time. Yeah, when they got there. Yes. It's like, we're, we're here. Like, you called us two minutes ago. We're here. That was like five minutes ago. This whole thing happened. Like, he's here somewhere. Right. And I'll tell you that Alexander said some conflicting things as well. Big surprise. So meanwhile, the neighbors indicated that Saturday night had been very quiet until they began to hear a ruckus from the apartment next door. They went to bed, and at the time, they heard a couple fighting for about 15 to 20 minutes. Now, if you remember Alexander's story, there was no fighting. He brought Isabella up. He went down, got the rest of his family, came back up, and saw that the light was on in her bedroom. They wouldn't have been home. They wouldn't have been there to fight. So the neighbors heard different stories from what he is saying. So um, they went to bed, and then they heard someone yelling from the ground floor. They tossed Isabella, help. 
The neighbors went down to see if there was anything they could do to help. This is when they saw Isabella lying in the grass. So somebody heard somebody say they tossed Isabella. Yes. It was from the ground floor at this point. Okay. So they went downstairs. They checked her for a pulse. And Alexander came running out, yelling that someone had been in their apartment and threw Isabella from the window. This is the neighbor's account of what happened. He said that the person specifically was wearing a black shirt. Meaning he had seen this person. He Uh told multiple people that. He told his father-in-law the same thing, or his ex-father-in-law, I should say. Although he and Caroline, I don't think were ever married, but Carolina's father was told that it was a, a man wearing a black shirt. Got it. So when Carolina is arriving, she has no idea what she is driving up to and what to expect. So uh, she you're came, just told that your daughter fell from the six-story window. You're expecting, like, <sighs> horrificness, right? So, so sad. So she came with her parents, and like I said, they had no idea what to expect. So they quickly realized in horror just how badly Isabella had been injured. They found Isabella on the ground. Her breathing was very shallow. Carolina refrained from touching her daughter. She was terrified that she was going to hurt her further if she did do something. So at that moment, she could not even think about how this happened. She only wanted her daughter to receive help as soon as possible. And of course, she was being told that paramedics were on the way. Nothing else matters at this point besides her surviving. So she just stayed by her daughter's side and just tried to keep her calm and just, you know, talk to her, you know, be calm, baby, all of that. So she said that everything was going to be okay and that she loved her. During this time, Alexander and Jatoba continued to claim that there was a burglar in the apartment who had done this to Isabella. Um, Carolina's father even said, if you saw him, you said he's he broke in. He was wearing black like you're a big guy. Why didn't you try to take him down? Oh, man, I promise any man listening to this right now. If you saw a guy throw your daughter out the window, you'd track him down and you'd make him pay. And again, this is all happening so fast. This is all happening while Isabella is actually laying in the grass. They're like just getting this flood of information that your brain is trying to understand how this could have possibly happened. Yeah. On this random Saturday night when there's safety nettings on the on the building's windows. How did this happen? So this is a flood of information that they're receiving. So again, um, you know, Carolina's father heard that this person broke the door down. He said, when I say he, Alexander said he saw it. So when Carolina's father asked why he hadn't tried to fight the burglar, he hears Alexander quickly just change the subject. He didn't want to talk about it. How about those bears? <laughs> well, we're in Brazil. I don't think they're watching the Chicago Bears. Uh, the football team, football, football. So when paramedics arrived at the scene, they tried to resuscitate Isabella for 34 minutes due to the fact that she was showing signs of cardiac arrest. When she was transferred to the hospital, Carolina was not allowed to ride in the back of the ambulance with her daughter. Instead, she rode up front, which I think is complete and absolute bullcrap that your five-year-old, who is basically dying, couldn't be with her mother. Who was in there? The paramedics. They were trying to actively resuscitate her. As long as nobody's allowed in there, like, that's that's fine. Like, I could see if Alexander was allowed and she wasn't, I'd be like, that is insane. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as they arrived to the hospital, it was still the family's belief that this had just been some kind of terrible accident or that something crazy had happened. Soon after, the doctors told them the devastating news that Isabella did not survive. Oh, God, no. Carolina got the news and just slid to the ground. She was overcome with grief. She whispered into her daughter's ear, you can go. Go in peace. Oh, God. 
sorry. Don't be sorry. It's the tiny baby that's five years old that is gone. That's like the worst. I mean, as a parent, as any, you know, as an aunt or an uncle, yeah, anybody, if you've ever known a little cute little five-year-old girl. Oh, and she was just adorable. You said she was sassy, like those. those a are the sassy best. five-year-old, like we had a sassy five-year-old. And yeah, now she's a sassy. Twelve, you know, almost a teenager. So you know, she's she knows her daughter is gone, and she's telling her, "Go in peace. I will take care of everything on this end." And those were the last words she ever spoke to her daughter. So on March thirtieth, two thousand eight, Isabella was laid to rest. 200 people were in attendance. So at this point, they're starting an investigation because, of course, Alexander is claiming that this person wearing black had broken in and done this to his daughter. Yeah, let's see how good the Brazil police are here. So even at just first glance, police found the incident extremely odd since the floor had safety nets over the windows, preventing this very thing from happening. And do they know? Like, are they checked? You know, I guess they'll look into that. Well, you'll see. I mean, it was cleanly cut. This was oh, this was intentionally so- done. Okay. So the net outside of Isabella's room appeared to have been neatly cut with a pair of scissors. Police questioned if the burglar would have time to do this. Who would come inside an apartment building, look for a pair of scissors, see a little girl laying on a bed, and and toss her out? I'm a burglar here to steal things. But first, I'm going to open up the safety net and throw your daughter out the window. Then I'm going to proceed to do whatever I wanted to do and then leave. Like, that makes absolutely no sense. Right. So, of course, investigators are hearing this story and trying to piece it together. And it doesn't make sense. You're trying to make sense of a motive. What would a burglar have done? They wouldn't have done this. Like Alexander, none of this is coming together here. So lo and behold, police enter the kitchen of the apartment and they find a pair of scissors. And upon further inspection, they found small fragments of safety net inside the blades of the scissors. Okay. So these were immediately determined to be the tool that had been used to cut the safety net. So despite canvassing the area in and around the apartment building, there were absolutely no signs of a burglar or an intruder. On first glance, they could see that the apartment was messy, and it was very, very messy. And I watched the um, Netflix special on this case, and I am like neat to a fault, and I would hyperventilate if I was put inside this apartment. So this was simply just the way that the couple lived. This was not messy by an intruder. It wasn't ransacked. It was just that they lived very messy. So no signs of a burglar. Well, you couldn't tell even if a burglar did come through, probably. Probably not. There was no sign of forced entry, despite what Alexander had said that he broke the door down. This person wearing black broke the door down. It's the first thing I thought. Like, you would see the door jam. Broken. Absolutely not. Um, so, drops of human blood and blood splatter were found throughout the apartment. It was very clear that someone had tried to clean this up because they weren't necessarily visible to the human eye. It was only seen after luminol was used. Interesting. So if this had happened and an intruder walked in and took Isabella from the bed, there would be no blood in the apartment because nobody was bleeding. Right. So this doesn't make sense. So use of luminol found additional spots throughout the apartment. The blood led from the front door of the apartment to Isabella's windowsill. It suggested that a bleeding person had been carried in through the door, likely straight to Isabella's room. The height from which the blood spatters had likely fallen had come from someone of Alexander's height. 
The placement of the spots suggested the stride of an adult based on how far apart they were spread, uh, that it would have come from an adult about the size of Alexander. These findings suggested that Isabella had been injured outside the apartment, carried inside, and then thrown out of her window, all the while bleeding. Blood was also found in the family's car. It could not be definitively confirmed as Isabella's because it was mixed with the genetic profile from another family member, specifically a male's. Hmm. So there was two people bleeding at this point. Okay. Hopefully we're going to get the real story at some point. So based on the location of the blood, which was found on the baby's car seat in the car, it was assumed that it came from the baby. So Isabella's bed was made. A drawing that she had done was sitting on the bed, which made it where you wouldn't have placed her on that bed. Just real quick, when you say the baby, you mean Isabella? No, they had an 11-month-old. So they had the three-year-old boy, an 11-month-old boy, and then Isabella. So it came from the 11-month-old. So um, Isabella's bed was made. The drawing was sitting on the bed. So it was clear that she had not been placed in that bed as Alexander had said. Uh, we've heard stories like this before where it's like they were sleeping. It's like, no, no, there's no sign of anybody sleeping in this no. bed. So the laundry room was extremely chaotic. There was a lot of dirty laundry just strewn about the whole room. Which you would expect in a place like this. Oh, my gosh. I, I, oh, wow. Gives you chills. I mean, like, I would be seized with, like, horror. Yeah, it wouldn't happen. So investigators noted that there was a bucket. It was filled with water, and it had a cloth inside. So it appeared to be a cloth diaper that was soaking in water, and they found it odd because the room was so chaotic with clothes everywhere, why this one piece of laundry would have been tended to. Yeah, there was some, some like, focus on this. And on further inspection, blood was found on the diaper. So Isabella's vomit was found on Alexander's T-shirt, as well as traces of fibers from the safety screen, as well as footprints from Alexander's flip-flops on the bed near the window, which Isabella would have been thrown from. Okay. I mean, this is pretty open and shut. The autopsy found that both Isabella's wrists had been broken, which obviously could have happened in the fall. There was a small, deep cut on her forehead, which was likely caused by a sharp instrument. There were a lot of markings on her body that were completely unrelated to the fall. There were marks on her neck and her face and nails. So the markings on her neck looked like she had been strangled, and her face and nails had turned blue, which are signs of strangulation. These injuries were unrelated to the fall. Her cause of death was multiple traumas along with mechanical asphyxiation from being choked. Mechanical with hands. Yes. But of course, Alexander is claiming that a burglar came in. So maybe before they tossed Isabella out of the window, she had been strangled by the burglar. Yeah. And why would it be all over Alexander's clothes? Like literally everything we're talking about is on Alexander, Mm -hmm. uh, including vomit, which is probably from strangulation or whatever. Like after he let her go, he realized she was probably alive. And like, oh, my God, this guy, like, needs to be burned alive. A monster. So police found it very odd that instead of trying to find their daughter's murderer, as would be expected if this actually happened as Alexander said it did, he and Jatoba immediately began hiring lawyers, even before they ever went to the police station for the first time. Like, we haven't even started anything yet. And what the hell is Jatoba doing here? Like, I, I mean, hopefully she didn't know about any of this, but you got to figure that she does. Like, you got to know that this story isn't adding up. Like, you know, grow a spine and be like, okay, uh, I know it's not her daughter, but like, have a heart for Christ's sake. She's a five-year-old little girl who doesn't have a heart for that. I don't know. Well, Alexander and Jatoba. 
So Alexander's father was a defense attorney, and it was mainly his money that Alexander lived on. All of, you know, anything that Alexander owned basically came from his father's money. But Alexander was a lawyer too, right? I don't know what his position was. He did go to law school. So he was, you know, paying for the apartment that they lived in, the cars that they drove. They all belonged to Alexander's father. Living on daddy's money. That's really good. I mean, it's very convenient. I wish we lived on our parents' money. It'd it'd free up a lot of our income. It's better this way. It sure is. Trust me. I don't want to be in, you know. Anybody's debts. Exactly. Thank you. So, again, you know, everything that they're owning or living in or whatever is owned by the father. So investigators learn that Jatoba suffered from postpartum depression after the birth of their second child, who at this point in time was 11 months old. Many felt that the chaotic state of their apartment, as well as the lack of social like circle or friends, indicated that it was very clearly that Jatoba was depressed and overwhelmed by life. I mean, when I say that the apartment was messy, it was really, really shockingly messy. Even if you're a messy person, you would think that this was messy. (laughs) It's like, wow, I'm messy, but this is messy. Yeah. So it kind of was reinforcing the state of her mind must not have been good if she was okay. And and Alexander, too. How was he fine living in that type of apartment? So they learned that she followed whatever Alexander and his family decided. And of course, anytime you're in debt from somebody that's paying for your life, it puts you in a bad position. Well, yeah, and they're going to have input on things. You know, somebody that's a successful lawyer is probably going to, like, say some dickhead comments. You know, not saying that he necessarily is a jerk just because he's a lawyer, but it's just like, you know, they're used to arguing their points and things and being like, well, here's how you should, like, really, you should get this car seat for the kids or you should do this. And it's like, here's the money. Take it. Go buy this and then uh, put it in. And, and before like, you know it, you're living somebody else's life yeah you're like okay yes i will there had been reports that alexander had been abusive to his partners including carolina who had filed a complaint with police years earlier when isabella was 16 months old so apparently carolina tried to enroll isabella in school she wanted her to be socialized and alexander did not like this and he threatened to hurt both carolina and her mother for doing this So the couple was arrested on April 2nd, 2008. They were released one week later. Later that month on April 18th, which incidentally would have been Isabella's sixth birthday, Alexander and Jatoba were indicted because of the evidence from Isabella's autopsy that indicated that she had been injured before the fall. The couple maintained their innocence at this point. So during the investigation and trial... Carolina claimed that Jatoba was very jealous of the past that she shared with Alexander. When Jatoba became involved with Alexander, she became the point of contact in regards to discussing Isabella's care, like I mentioned earlier. She also said that Alexander's family tried to avoid having Jatoba left alone with Isabella as they knew or when they knew that Alexander wasn't going to be there. So she found this out that his family was not comfortable with her being alone with the kids. That's crazy. So his sister would stay with the family if Alexander wasn't going to be there and Jatoba was going to be alone with us. It sounded like maybe specifically Isabella, but maybe the other boys too. Wow. So they're really scared. They didn't trust her. I mean, anytime you have somebody else involved and you're like, no, okay, well, Alexander's leaving. How about we come over and help you? Like, you know, it's not just about help. It's about worrying about the kids. Yeah. They worried about the safety. That's scary. Yeah. 
A neighbor also spoke with police and indicated that Isabella's paternal grandmother told her that Jatoba was crazy and capable of someday hurting Isabella. They were told this before anything ever happened to Isabella. A friend of Carolina's anonymously told the press that Isabella would often want to come back home earlier after staying with her father. She would come back in tears. And, you know, this was a sign that sometimes things weren't always great at that house. Yeah. I mean, um, if we can put out a message, do not procreate with crazy, whether you're a woman or a man or whatever. Like, if you see some signs, man, do not make kids with that person. The case was received or the case received an immense amount of media attention. The public was very angry toward Isabella, or I'm sorry, towards Alexander and Jatoba. They were demanding justice for Isabella. One program was able to secure an interview with the couple. So they were coming onto this program hoping to help their case, but rather than that, it hindered it. They were perceived as lying and making up answers during their interview. Claims were made that authorities did not properly investigate the case, though. For instance, there was a construction site just next door to where the apartment building sat. The complex could have been very easily accessed through the construction site. Uh, A reporter searched the site after Isabella was killed and found that when workers arrived Sunday morning, they found that it had been broken into. Nothing had been taken, but the person that was on the construction site indicated to the cameraman that someone had gone through their things. The job foreman demonstrated to reporters how easily a person could have jumped over the wall from the construction site and gone over to the other building. So that did happen. So police then brought this construction worker in for questioning, and then when the construction worker left the police station, he completely changed his story. Hmm. So what he had said before, now he was like, "Mm, nope, nope, there had been no break-in. Somebody got to him before? So somebody had clearly told him to change his story. Mm -hmm. So it was perceived that the police were forcing him to change his story. Oh, the police. Well, we, you know, you you hear in South America that there's a lot of people paid off. And uh, even people from Brazil or any, you know, a lot of the countries down there, they'll say, you can't completely trust everybody because somebody's getting paid from somebody. So, and if you watch the Netflix special on this case, you'll see that the person demonstrated how somebody could have gone over the wall and blah, blah, blah. And the same person was like, no. No, it couldn't mm-hmm. happen. Nope. It's like, uh, sir, we saw you. You're on video explaining <laughs> it. We can't take this back. You you yourself said it on video. So a video presentation was made based on the clues that they found during the investigation. They basically did a recreation of what may have happened that night. So it presented the theory that Isabella had been injured while inside the car, likely because Alexander and Jatoba were perhaps trying to discipline Isabella and maybe they went too far while in the car that then they strangled her and threw her from the window with an attempt to cover up that an intruder intruder had thrown her down the claim was not entirely based on proof found at the crime scene there was a lot of hypothesis involved with what the pieces they were putting together so the investigation continued for two more years and a jury of seven members were selected Finding an impartial jury was truly impossible. This case was huge in Brazil. I mean, it was all over every media source of any kind. So it was impossible to select an impartial jury because everybody knew about it. So um, the trial was beginning on March 22nd, 2010, nearly two years to the day of Isabella's murder. Crowds of bystanders and the press lined the sidewalks in front of the courthouse. 
On the first day of the trial, Carolina testified and said that Jatoba was very jealous of her. She said during her relationship with Alexander, he once threatened to kill both her and her mother. Then he vanished with, with ugh, easy for me to say, with Isabella after she confronted him about late child support payments. So clearly he's showing signs of erratic, violent behavior. Sure. So she also said that when Jatoba called her on the night of Isabella's death, again, she was hysterical and Carolina's getting this flood of information that she's trying to understand, but that Jatoba had said something. She screamed it into the phone that this was all your daughter's fault. Huh. That's what she said. Interesting. So on March 25th, 2010, Alexander and Jatoba testified that they had nothing to do with Isabella's death. Alexander said that the police who handled the case uh, proposed that he admit guilt, saying that he could rule the case as accidental homicide with no intent to kill. He felt the police were not interested in figuring out what happened in the building that day. He said that on the day that Isabella died, he lost the most precious thing in his life. He said he did not recall mentioning that there had been a burglar in their apartment. Oh, man, but like so many people... Multiple people he heard. Okay, uh, the so. neighbors heard him say this. Uh, Carolina's father and heard. police too, right? It did. I don't know who was there when he was saying all because the this. police got there quickly. Remember, you said the qu- police got there quickly. They thought the burglar would still be in the building. They thought with the timeline being so tight, this person would still be in so the building. He, he said, definitely told people this. Yes. yes, and probably police too, like yes, officials. So. Yes, because police were looking for this intruder. Right. So they they knew about this from Alexander, and Alexander by this point years later is like that was a stupid story of me. I'm going to change. It completely. Yes. So now he's saying that he never even he doesn't recall ever saying these words. He's gaslighting completely. And sir, it's too late. Too many people have heard you actually say this. I hope it's too late. So the defense attorney mentioned that someone had broken into the apartment and thrown Isabella from the window. But Alexander denied ever seeing someone that was dressed in all black with a gun because at some point he said this person had a gun. We're just adding pieces to the story here. When the defense attorney asked why he hadn't helped Isabella, he said that he was in shock and the neighbor told him not to touch her. When they asked why he had not spoken to Carolina during the funeral or wake, he said it was because it was an embarrassing situation, which I don't really know what that means. I mean, uh, I could see him saying, like, you know, she was in my care and she, you know, died while I was supposed to be watching her. But, yeah, I know, guess. I don't like, know. an embarrassing situation dumbass. is just such a, like, odd way of phrasing it. Yeah. As both Alexander and Jatoba made their testimonies, they frequently contradicted each other. When Alexander spoke of their relationship as a couple, he claimed that they had normal arguments just as any couple would, but Jatoba had said that they fought constantly and nastily. Mm. Well, they should have got their stories a little straighter, I guess. Yeah, I guess they didn't have enough time to iron it out. So the trial ended up lasting five days, and Alexander was sentenced to 31 years and one month and 10 days for the murder of his daughter, as well as an additional concurrent sentence of eight months for allegedly tampering with evidence. That's crazy. That's not nearly enough. Like, what is he in his mm-hmm. 20s or early 30s? He's 29. Okay, so that's only until he's 50. So he would have been about 31 at the time of the trial. So he'd be, what, 62? Yeah, and I'm focusing on Alexander a lot, but who was actually the probably the, the person that killed her? I mean, I don't know. It's just, I, you, I'm sure you're going to go into it. So well, Jatoba was sentenced to 26 years and eight months, as well as the eight concurrent months for tampering of evidence so she was given five you know less years than he was yeah 
Since 2022, the couple has been granted special furloughs, so they've been allowed to, you know, enjoy their Mother's Day and Father's Day. That's nice. Uh, So this case was made into a Netflix documentary this year, 2023, and it's called A Life Too Short, the Isabella Nardoni case. After the trial, Carolina met her current husband. She was able to pick up the pieces and try to rebuild her life and heal. The couple has a son together, and Carolina admits that the pregnancy brought up a lot of emotions from her loss of Isabella because now she's going through it a second time around, and her daughter isn't there. So it was it was a real hard time for her. Sure. You would like just picture them. Yeah. Oh, well, this would have been her brother, mm-hmm. and they would have had a great time together. And they also welcomed a daughter into their lives as well. So this is the tragic murder of Isabella Nardoni, and both Jatoba and Alexander maintain that they had nothing to do with with Isabella's death. So we never get the real story. No, okay. no but what they imagine happened was that they were fighting in the car. Perhaps they tried to discipline Isabella. She did have this mark on her forehead. It was it was small, but it was deep. That's likely where the blood came from. So that discipline, was, somebody hit her. So whether it was Alex or Jatoba, we don't know. We don't know. Okay. Um, the blood was on the car seat in the car. And then obviously Isabella was carried upstairs. All of the evidence shows that because the blood was, you know, from the entrance of the apartment to the windowsill where she had been thrown. The scissors were in the kitchen. So she, at some point in time, she was absolutely strangled. Um, and then they cut the window. And I'm assuming it was Alexander because it was his flip-flops that they saw impressions of. And she, so Jatoba was probably there with him? Or do you think that he was by himself, just based on what you've seen? Well, the stories they told was that Jatoba was in the car with the two boys. And that right. may have been the case, that Jatoba did not go up with him. Well, somebody's got to stay with the baby. But they, the neighbor heard them arguing in the apartment for about 15 to 20 minutes before all of the ruckus occurred heard from Isabella being tossed out the window. The neighbor heard them in the apartment. They were arguing. Yes. So my thought is they all came upstairs together. Ah. Yes. Okay. And then so what I picture is that Isabella was being her fiery self and like still yelling or something or like stop it or whatever. And maybe Alex just choked her from that point being like, shut up, shut up, you know, because he obviously can't control himself because he's a small human being mentally and uh, an absolute monster piece of garbage. So he couldn't just, you know, deal with it. He had his own temper tantrum and decided to kill his own daughter because he sucks at life and he's a useless human being. So odds are he probably, like you just said, had a temper tantrum, a psychotic break, whatever you might call it, and he began strangling his daughter, realized that, oh my gosh, I've almost killed her, and this is where he decided to come up with the story of the intruder, went to the kitchen, grabbed the scissors, cut the window thing, stood on the bed, and literally shoved his five-year-old daughter from the window. And I believe Jatoba was probably in the apartment at the time that it happened. Like, if you're capable of doing this to your own child, like, I, so I don't think he's like a, you know, a public menace, you know? But like, somebody like this should never be forgiven for anything, like in their life, you know? Like, how do they, you let them out of jail? They're just... A scumbag human being like this person will never be fixed. Yeah, and like know? like we said, he'll be about sixty two years old when he's released from jail. Which yeah, at I mean, that point, that's still young. Yeah, hopefully, I don't know. Somebody takes care of him in jail. 
I don't know. That's that's horrible, man. And uh, like this is well known. Like it's known that he oh probably gosh. killed his daughter. So hugely, hugely well known. I mean, this was a storm in Brazil. You should have seen in this documentary. You could see the media storm. It was unbelievable. Like the couple, anytime they had to be brought in for questioning. It was a media storm. They were like shoved in the back of the car to get them to the station. It was on every program possible in Brazil. They were absolutely hated over there. I mean, the hated by the public. Yeah. So rightly so. Yeah. Oh, poor Isabella. Oh, just so tragic. And how you could possibly do this. And then imagine. be such an idiot to say that a person broke in and did this and then be like, I never said anything about a person. Change your story a million times. Oh, yeah. And he broke in. No, he didn't break in. He had a gun. I get those confused. <laughs> like, okay. Because while everything was happening and they were like, literally, as Isabella was still in the grass, the father or Carolina's father said to him, like, how could you not have taken him down if you were in there with him? Yeah. And it's just like, as the father, if my son, you know, killed our granddaughter, I'd be like, <laughs> uh, buddy, I'm not protecting you against anything. You right. need to you need to face the music. There's something wrong with you mentally. Like, like you killed my grandchild. You're going to pay for this. Yeah. It's not like, you know, you, they're still your flesh and your blood and everything. Yeah, and so is Isabella. Yeah. That's just ugh, horrible. Well, terribly, terribly sad story. Yeah. Thank you for telling us. And, you know, if, if you want to hear other horrible stories, uh, I guess, you know, go ahead and check out our Patreon. You know, it, it's something you can do, you know, to help us out as a mom and pop podcast here. I'm pop. And she, I'm mom. She's mom. Am I mom or ma? Um, depending on the day. I, I think guess. I'm ma. Yeah, if you're baking, probably be ma. I'm baking today, so I'm yeah. ma. Ma Pernucky. Yeah, we appreciate all of your support. Like, just every time a patron comes through, it's just, like, so cool to see. And, and we both appreciate it so much. So I want to say welcome to our latest Crime and Coffee Couple Club members, Aisling, Aelita, uh, Aelita, uh, I think. Uh, hopefully I said that right. Deborah, Leanne, and L. So thank you, every one of you. And I, there was a couple that came through, uh, some British sterling pounds, some euros. So we've got like all over mm -hmm. the world and we appreciate every one of you, wherever you're from. Yeah, so. it's so cool. We always like announce to the family, well, we got a new patron or like the such nice um, feedback and comments and pictures people send us. I was actually getting my hair done yesterday. I know that's like Mike's worst nightmare. But I was telling our style, my stylist, I'm like, oh, so many people are just so nice. It's unbelievable. Yep. And it just means so much to us. And thank you guys so much. And we have almost 40 bonus episodes over on Patreon. So like Mike said, if you want to come on over there and support us, we just gratefully appreciate you. Yep. And do you have anything else to add? Um, there, yeah. One one of our listeners even just had a, a baby, a baby, baby daughter. So I wanted to say, you know, congratulations. Huge congratulations. Yep. She was holding the baby and wearing our t-shirt. So yep. that was just so precious. Yeah. So thanks for everything. Uh, it looks like it was Miss Scarlet. So congratulations. Yes, absolutely. Congratulations. And thank you guys so much for being here. And until next time, bye. Bye.